Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Chronicles sports writer Rusty Simmons, who's been a big help on the Warriors beat this season. During our conversation, we looked at Kelly Oubre's future and discussed what Golden State should do with its two open roster spots. Rusty, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. Um, you know, it feels like it feels like things are starting to normalize a little bit uh, where I feel like we're starting to see the the finish line, the vaccines out. Um, the Warriors actually, at least 12 members of the Warriors got the vaccine the other day. Um, I know a lot of my friends and family are getting it. Um, have you gotten it yet? Are you are you uh, qualifying? I have I have not gotten it yet. Um, I know I probably sound old enough to get it, but uh, but I haven't I haven't yet. And and I'm one of those that kind of thinks that uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to lie and skip the line. I know that, that there are people doing that all over the place, but I don't mind waiting my turn and and uh, and doing it when it's time. Yeah, no, I respect that. I, I also am waiting my turn. Um, I think there's more deserving people to get it before I do. Um, so the, uh, it's, it's been an interesting week or so, uh, on the Warriors beat, um, you know, the trade deadline came and passed the other day, uh, about five days ago now. And, um, there's been a ton of questions that have come in the wake of the trade deadline. Um, so I basically thought that this podcast would be a good opportunity to, uh, break down what the Warriors should do from here. Let's kind of pretend we're. Bob Myers, which we often do, uh, both in the written and verbal form, uh, and and basically decide what the Warriors should do to improve the roster. Because uh, ultimately, these are the questions that I think matter most. Um, you know, in terms of the the near term of wins and losses of making the playoffs this season, um, obviously the Warriors would like to make the playoffs, but I think they made they've made it clear in the past week or two when this really since they they moved James Wiseman into that starting center job that ultimately their priority is developing their young talent and uh, positioning themselves to contend next season. Now, of course, they would like to make the playoffs, but I don't think that's the number one priority. And I, I think that's a good, uh, I think that's a good move um, because um, I don't think that a first round exit in the playoffs is going to be a huge game changer for them long-term. I mean, it'd be nice to get those guys some, some playoff experience, but I don't think it's a necessity. Um, I think it's more of a necessity to get guys like James Wiseman major minutes throughout the season. Um, and uh, so basically the, at the trade deadline, the Warriors didn't, didn't make the big splash that a lot of people were expecting. Um, they traded Brad Wanamaker and, Marquise Chris and got no players back in return. So basically they traded them to clear two roster spots. Uh, I think, I think for one of those, they got like a future second round pick, but um, uh, you know, it was basically just to, to clear those contracts and clear those roster spots. And so now they have two open roster spots that they can kind of play with and figure out what they want to do with. There's a bunch of different options um, for those two roster spots. Um, but the, first, the thing I want to get to first is um, the biggest news at the trade deadline was really non-news, which was that they didn't trade Kelly Oubre because um, there had been so much speculation about that entering the deadline. And it was, it was fascinating because the thought process 
my thought process was okay if they don't trade Ubre, then they're they probably feel confident that they can resign him uh, because if you can't resign him and you're not confident you can resign him you should probably trade him for something uh just to so he doesn't walk in free agency for nothing um but uh you know talking to people in the organization they got multiple decent offers just nothing that they felt like really moved the needle for them um but then you you talk to kelly and he says pretty bluntly like i am not a bench player like i'm i'm not trying to be a bench player going forward which makes you think that he wouldn't be that open to re-signing because if he does come back, he would almost definitely have to be a six man if, or when I should say, uh, Clay Thompson returns. And it, Clay could miss the first month or two of next season. Um, and so, you know, Kelly would potentially start the season as the starter and then move into a six man role. Um, but just based off how blunt he was in his comments, it just doesn't sound like that's what he wants. And you can't blame him. I mean, this is a guy who had worked so hard to get into that starting lineup and to be that caliber of player in the NBA um, that he doesn't want to regress in that department. And I can't, I can't fault him for that. Um, But it leaves questions of like, why? So why didn't the Warriors move him? If, you know, and, you know, Steve Bob had said that he talked to Kelly's representation and about Kelly's future a little bit, but that he didn't talk directly with Kelly uh, because he didn't want to, you know, bother him mid-season. But um, I don't know. I what, what do you think about that? Do you think ultimately it's just like a cost-cutting thing? You know, maybe they're actually okay with him walking in free agency and they can they can get that money back. Yeah, my feelings on this have changed a lot. Um, I thought they made a mistake by not moving him for anything at the all at the at the trade deadline because um, I thought there was no chance he was coming back and especially after his comments right after the deadline where he said, I'm way better than coming off the bench or I can do more than, than coming off the bench. And then I started to wonder if there might be more behind this. If I still think he's a guy who wants to be a go-to option, he thinks of himself that way. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised at all if he goes to a bad team and is the number one or number two option. But I wonder if there's not a middle ground. I wonder if the Warriors say, okay, you're a starter. Come back. You're a starter and he is a starter. And you know who the sixth man is? Andrew Wiggins. This last week, while we've watched the team without Stephen Curry, Andrew Wiggins has been really stinking good. He's a really good go-to guy. And I wonder, he clearly can never be that in the Warriors starting lineup, but he can play an Iguodala role where he comes in and locks somebody down while Steph and Draymond are out of the game and comes comes in and is the go-to option for the second unit. He seems like a low-maintenance guy. I know that they'd probably get beat up by having a guy with that kind of contract come off the bench, but um, he looks like, to me, the best option to be the sixth man. So I wonder if you tell Oubre that. I wonder if you say, all right, you're still in the starting lineup. You, you hit on something really interesting there, and honestly, I'm actually surprised I hadn't thought of that before, and I'm surprised that I hadn't heard that before because I think you, I think that, that makes sense in a couple ways. Um, obviously, Wiggins is already under contract. Uh, and I, I don't think Wiggins has the ego that, um, that Ubre has. And that's not a criticism of Ubre. I just, I just, I think, I think Wiggins is a genuinely like just chill guy who, who would go with the flow. And I think he's just happy to be here. Um, and he's happy to be out of Minnesota. Um, and I think he actually, in some ways almost appreciates having some of the pressure, 
uh, of being a go-to guy taken off of him. And so, and you're right. I, I think that the second unit has been the best when you have Wiggins in more of a playmaking role um, leading that offense, um, doing what he did best in Minnesota, uh, which was penetrate and kick out and, 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 and do those sorts of things. Um, so I, I do think that that could be a really intriguing option and, and kind of solve some issues. Um, because I think that if they went to Uber and they said, look, we'll pay you what you want and you can start and you'll be our starting small forward going forward. And, and we'll have Wiggins coming off the bench. Um, I think he would probably do that. I mean, why wouldn't he do that? Um, especially if he's not having to take a pay cut. And there have been questions about, will he take a pay cut? Well, I don't, I think if the Warriors were really serious about bringing him back, they wouldn't ask him to take a pay cut. They can, they can, uh, they can pay him up to the max because they have his bird rights. So um, it would just be a matter of, are they willing to stomach that luxury tax bill? And if there's one thing we know Joe, about Joe Lacob, he's pretty much always willing to spend if it means winning big and, you know, honestly, given the nature, given the landscape of things, it might be hard for them to replace Ubre with someone of his caliber, especially now that they didn't make a move at the trade deadline, because you're not, you know, the way the luxury tax and, and all and the salary cap works, you know, you're not, you're not the only way you can pay someone that much is if you're re-signing them, not if you go out and sign a free agent. So, they don't have a ton of options to add talent. And so they're going to be very uh, motivated to try to resign someone like, like Ubre. And I think that you could go to Wiggins and be like, man, this would be the ultimate like team move, you know, like this is what we need. And you're still going to play 25 to 30 minutes a night. Like you're still going to play a lot of minutes, just, uh, you know, take one for the team. And it's ultimately what we need. And I, what I know about Wiggins, I actually think he'd be receptive to it, at least much more receptive than Ubre would. Um, so yeah, I I feel like I'm learning things on the pod. You know, maybe that is what they're thinking. And knowing Bob, I think that's how Bob thinks. I think that um, you know, maybe he had some cursory conversations with Ubre's agent, but he he probably also talked, he might have also talked to Wiggins and Wiggins's representation uh about Wiggins role going forward so yeah that that you just that was just a light bulb moment on the pod like I hadn't really thought about that but you're right that's an option and who knows what will happen um you know maybe maybe Uber still wants more of a go-to role maybe he wants to be like the number one guy on a on a team um to me if I'm him I would rather be you know the number three option on a championship caliber team in the starting lineup playing 30 minutes a night, which given what we're talking about might be what happens over uh, going and putting up 20 points tonight for the Orlando magic. Um, But the other thing, the other thing I thought about with Kelly is you're right. I think there is part of him and and you have to have this to be this good. Right. Uh, But I think there is something in him that thinks I'm a top 30 player. I should be the go-to guy on a team. But where's he going to go? Detroit? Orlando? Like, Yeah. I mean, it's been talked about the Knicks. Being the third or fourth guy. Now, New York is different. I that, think, that, I think that, the that Knicks would help, that would help his cause. The but. best situation for him in terms of what it's what I think he wants. Um, I think he wants to be in the spotlight. I think he wants to be in a big market. I think he wants to be. And also that franchise is suddenly trending in the right direction. Um, and they have some decent pieces and they have some good young guys there already. So that would actually be a really good situation for him. Um, 
But I think especially if the Warriors could somehow offer him a starting spot, um, you know, you, you, uh, that would be a, the Warriors would be a great situation for him as well. And, and, you know, the Warriors don't have to figure it all out. You know, they can say, look, we're, we're going to try to find you a starting role. If, if they decide like early in the season before clay comes back, that Wiggins just needs to be that starter. Then, then you can start actively thinking about trading him again. Um, you know, but I do think they need to do everything in their power to resign him because I just don't think they have at this point, a lot of other options, really any other options. Um, and you hit on exactly what I was going to get to is that really New York, unless you want to go to uh, one of these markets that aren't great, New York's really the only option for him. The Lakers and Clippers aren't signing him. Miami's not signing him. So if he he's so into his clothing line and production company and all this, w- where is it better to be than San Francisco playing alongside Stephen Curry, who's on national TV every day? Well, yeah, and I think I think if he looked at the long term play of it. You know, you're 25 years old. If you sign, you know, a, a multi-year deal, you know, after a couple years, a few years, uh, Clay, Steph, and Draymond will be declining in production. If you're still under contract at that point, you've already probably been a, a key part of the rotation and of the lineup for years. Um, you're in a position to, you know, really emerge as a face of the franchise. You know, you can be on the, on par with, you know, the James Wiseman's and the, you know, whoever, whoever they get in the draft, you know, coming up um, as kind of the face of the next era of a, of a franchise that has a great pedigree and, and is a, a winning organization. If, 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 if anyone should appreciate what the Warriors, how the Warriors operated should be Kelly, because he was with the Wizards and the Suns before who are two of the worst run franchises in the league. And he's, he's been pretty vocal about his frustrations with both of those situations, especially Phoenix. Um, And so I think he appreciates and understands how different it is with golden state, even though they're not a great team this season. So it'll, it'll be fascinating to see. Um, But yeah, man, you, you hit on something interesting. And the truth is uh, Ubre to me, is the ultimate swing man. I mean, I think, I think to me, him and uh, Wiggins are interchangeable in a lot of ways. They both can just as easily start at the two as they can at the three. So, you know, that's a huge benefit. Whereas clay is much more of a two, you know, I think clay could play the three, but he is a two and you're not going to ask clay Thompson, who's given as much as he has to the franchise to play a new position. So, uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, but in the more in the more immediate term, um, you know, the Warriors do have two open roster spots. And, um, you know, I, I I think that these are some interesting decisions that they can make here um, to set them up past this season um, and also just take longer looks at guys who could potentially be be a part of the roster next season. Um, so one thing that to me is, is interesting is um, you, you obviously have the buyout market. Um, and I feel like every year we, we talk about who could the Warriors get off the buyout market and every year they don't get anyone off the buyout market. And um, I think this is gonna, probably going to be another year where they're not going to get anyone off the buyout market. I just don't see any names that make a lot of sense. Um, the Warriors do have the DPE so they can sign someone to that 9.3 
disabled player exception, uh, which is a nice tool to have, but I just don't see anyone that really fits the Warriors window in terms of what their mindset is right now. I mean, they don't, it doesn't look like they're going all in on making the playoffs this year. And I, and even if they were, I don't, I don't know if there's anyone that's going to be a true difference maker uh, and, and warrant you maybe taking minutes away from some of your young guys and, and overhauling your rotation. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure that that's going to be the best Avenue for them right now. Yeah, I mean, you hit on a lot of things. One, that it's going to be hard to be a player in the buyout market. And then two, like, I like the idea of using those two extra roster spots to get a month and a half look at a couple of young guys. But there's no playing time for them, and they're not practicing at all. So it's so hard. Even if you have them in the system, it's it's almost impossible to get a good look at them. What you do get is you get time around them. You get to know them as a person. And that 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 is important in the Warriors to figure out the culture and, and how it all works. But um, this is a year where it's so hard because normally I would say the last month and a half don't matter wins and losses. They'll get the two youngest guys that intrigue you, bring them in, get a look at them for a month and a half. But they haven't given it all the way over to that yet. I, they're still hanging on to this grasp of playing in the playing game and trying to make the playoffs and all that. Um, so there aren't a ton of minutes and there's less practice time. We'll have more of my conversation with Rusty Simmons right after the break. Yeah, and you kind of hit on something interesting there, which is like why, unless you're bringing in a true difference maker, someone who you can think you think will be a, a fundamental part of the rotation long term, you know, why why mess things up? You know, you've already your biggest issue this season has been, uh, you know, inconsistency and and having to constantly change the rotation, and if if you're having to introduce a, a new significant piece and that's just going to throw the rotation off off its axis even more and that could set back the development of some of your young guys you know and I do think they want to get significant minutes for guys like not just James Wiseman but Jordan Poole and um, Nico Mannion you know they're kind of they're kind of uh, going all in on those guys as well so um, I just don't think it's worth it and I think you could get a couple of younger pieces in, in there to take, you know, nice looks at that um, you don't need to give 25 minutes a night to, you know, that you can just see how they handle sporadic playing time um, and, and see if they can be a factor going forward. And I also think it's worth evaluating some of the, the guys in the back end of the roster now, like someone like Michael Mulder. Michael Mulder has actually played pretty well when he's played, but he, he's been so in and out of the rotation. Um, you know, you wonder what his role will be going forward. If he can't crack this rotation, will he be on the roster next season? He's not guaranteed next season. One one guy who's I'm super curious about is Eric Pascal. Like, what's going on with Eric Pascal? You know, he was arguably their best team, best player last season, and now he's out of the rotation, um, and he has not been able to figure out his role this season on a on a team, on a better team, you know, not a great team, but a better team than, than last season. And um, it's, I think, I think that he's in a really critical moment in his career and his development right now. Um, You know, he's, he's the guy getting garbage minutes now. And I think the problem is that he, 
he's kind he he has a hard time being helpful in the flow of their offense you know he 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 kind of needs to create in those iso situations and and that's not ultimately what the warriors want to do they had to do that last season just to be somewhat comp- competitive um but ideally with Steph and Draymond out there that's not what they want to be doing and he has not proven that he can play alongside Draymond um, and he has not proven that he can play the power forward position or the small forward position he's really like this niche guy now who's a small ball five who needs the ball in his hands and it's like that's just it's gonna be hard for him to find uh, a future with the Warriors if that's all if that's what he does Uh, and he's defensively has there's a lot to to be desired there has his help side defense is pretty bad uh and it hasn't gotten better and I think Steve is getting frustrated with that um you know he has a lot of the tools to be good defensively and he hasn't been so and he he also doesn't rebound well he I was actually never that high on Eric Paschal to be honest with you even last season when he was first team all rookie just because I I looked at him and I thought look you're putting up numbers props to you for being the 41st pick and coming up putting up numbers as a rookie that's impressive but I just am not convinced that you're like a true difference maker in this franchise long-term. Like I, I'm not even sure you're a starter in this league. You know what I mean? I've gone, I've gone the other way on Eric because from his college career, um, he recreated his game so many times to find a role on teams that I thought that's what he would do in the NBA. And last year he was on a terrible team. Somebody has to score. So he did that. And I thought he would, he sees the game so well. It doesn't make any sense to me that he can't pass and that he's not a good help side defender. He sees the game way too well to not be good at those two things. And so I've been disappointed that we haven't seen a development from that. Now, it has been difficult that they put him in different roles and had him doing different things. But now's the time where they've said, okay, no more small ball center. In fact, you're not even in the rotation. You have got to be a help side defender and you have got to learn how to drive and kick or at least move the ball. Um, so – I won't give up on him because he has recreated his, his role so many times, but it's time for him to do that now at the NBA level. Yeah. But I mean, we're two thirds of the way through the season and, and, you know, I know, I know he's been interrupted with the health and safety protocol stuff and and some minor injuries here and there, but um, I don't know. It, It feels like his career is really his tenure with the Warriors and maybe even his career is really at a crossroads right now my point being the reason we got on this topic was the Warriors have to it is important for them to evaluate those guys this season and they need to put them in certain spots and and see you know whether or not they can be a factor next season and I think that's just as important as as getting a look at some new guy that you're bringing in um because I he is under contract at a very you know, at a minimum on a minimum contract next season. So if he can be helpful, that's a good bargain contract that you want to keep around. You know, he even if he's like your 14th man, like he's a pretty good he you know he's an NBA player at least. Um uh, and he's on a minimum contract. So like he's probably he's probably gonna be on the roster next season. You just gotta figure out like what his role will be. Um and so one is assuming the Warriors don't sign anyone off the buyout market if i'm the warriors i would move one or both of uh juan toscano anderson and um nico Mannion. i would convert their two-way deals into standard deals um 
I, uh, I just think that yes, the, the NBA made changes to the two way contract, which, which kind of lessens the immediate need to do that. You know, you can play uh, over 50 games um, and you can, you can play in the playoffs. Um, but uh, I think if, 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 if they stay on two way deals, they'll become restricted free agents this summer. And, you know, I'm not saying either of them is going to get a huge contract offer in restricted free agency, but it'd be nice just to not have to worry about that, not deal with that. If I'm the Warriors, I try to lock them up into multi-year deals right now, multi-year like minimum deals right now, um, just so you don't need to worry about it. Because I think I think it's pretty clear uh, that both of them should be a factor in their plans going forward. I think, I think Juan... Uh, has a lot of the intangibles that you want from a role player. I think he, you know, he doesn't need to be a guy who's a, a regular piece of your rotation on a winning team, but he is a really good person to have on the, on the roster. He, you know, if, when, if, and when you need him, he'll be, he'll, he'll be a plus, you know, um, he does just so many little things well. And then Nico, um, I just think he's shown enough already to, to, you know, invest in him I, I think he can be a legitimate solid backup point guard in this league for a long time I've, I've talked to people in the organization who actually think he he's like could end up being a starting caliber point guard in this league uh, at worst he's a third point guard um, but on a minimum contract you know and as a the 48th pick in the draft that's that's not bad I think he's at least shown he's an NBA player um, and I've been really impressed with his poise um, and his savvy uh, just as a 20 year old who uh, has gotten sporadic minutes at times. So I think, I think, uh, but if between those two, who would you convert first? If you, if you feel like you can only give one of those roster spots away right now, who would you convert first? Nico would be the guy, because I think you're right. I think he, he has an NBA future that's, that's undeniable either as a backup or a third point guard. And I'm glad, I think it might've been you. I'm glad somebody asked on Bob Myers uh, news conference the other day, like what is the, what is the advantage of making one of these two-way contracts, converting one of those into a, a guaranteed deal? And Myers said exactly what you're talking about. Well, it builds up camaraderie with the guy and with his agents, with his representation, and in hopes you can sign a long-term deal. And I think they've identified that the Mannion is going to be part of this team, whether it's as a backup or a third point guard for a while. Um, so it makes sense to convert them now to continue that relationship and to start working on a long-term deal. It makes a ton of sense. I, 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 actually, I agree with you, but I actually put Juan on my priority list even higher. Uh, just because I think, I think, uh, I think Juan has proven that he deserves, yes, he's older and stuff and he doesn't have the upside that Miko has, but I think he's proven that he needs to be on this team long-term. And I, I think that, uh, um, I think on the open market, he actually could command a bigger offer right now than than Nico. So I would I would go with I would prioritize Juan, um, but I would I would try to probably lock both of them up. Um, which yeah, I mean, you can't you can't go wrong with either one of those guys. Those guys are, yeah. are players that you want to have on your roster. Although once you wrote your unbelievable piece on Juan, it seems like the Warriors don't even want to put him on the court anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, he's, they, he's been they were like, this guy, this guy got all the praise. This yeah, story he's is been great. out, but I honestly think that's there's, part of there's it. No like, more, there's no more to this story after Connor really. I mean, the feedback from the organization on that story was, uh, very positive. And I, the thing I was hearing 
from people after that story came out was uh, in the organization was just like, this is exactly like why we have him around. It's not just because of what he does on the floor, but like everything he represents. I mean, between us, like, or not between us, between us and our listeners, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, from a PR standpoint, it doesn't hurt to have, you know, an Oakland born guy on the roster who represents everything that Oakland is when there, there is almost, I think some guilt that, the franchise has left Oakland and I think there are fans that are upset with that. I don't think that's the reason why he's here. And I don't think that's the reason why he's going to, he's going to be kept long-term. I think it's, he really is just a phenomenal teammate and represents the ethos of what the franchise is about and, and plays well, both offensively and defensively knows his role. Um, but it doesn't hurt, you know, to have an Oakland guy on the roster and someone who just represents that grit and that toughness that sometimes this team has lacked. Um, especially when Draymond's not on the floor. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think he's made his case to, to be around, you know, long-term. And, um, and so it's, it's hard, it's hard to argue with you. I think there are 29 teams that would be better off if they had wanted this kind of Anderson. On their team. Yeah. And he's, the thing, he's the that thing that's kind of fascinating guy, to me about the NBA is you look at someone like Juan and you're like, how did that guy who was, you know, not putting up, numbers at Marquette for a bad Marquette team. How is he not only in the NBA, but like a rotation caliber player. And it's because when you're talking about role players, you don't need someone who averaged 25 points per game in college. You need someone who knows how to play basketball, who plays hard, who uh, can see the floor well, who is in the right place at the right time defensively, um, who is a good teammate, who, you know, cheers on, the rest of the roster when he's on the bench, you know, who, who, who does, who does all those things. And Juan is that guy. And, and the thing that I think is, has really helped him too, is he has improved his shot dramatically, um, which, you know, you have to at least be a competent shooter in the NBA and he's become more than a competent shooter. So um, yeah. So I, yeah, he's, he's, he's sticking around, but if, if they, if if they um if they move either Juan or Nico into that 15 man roster spot then they have an open two-way spots and so you know what do you do with those two-way spots you know um i think you would probably bring in someone from the G League um and i i my friend Kevin Dana uh who i know you know uh who's like the biggest G League expert i've ever met um he he always gives me lists of of guys who who could make sense and I, I wrote it in my story the other day but like uh Henry Ellenson former NBA player uh with Raptors 905 uh Freddie Gillespie uh, on the Memphis Huddle uh Hustle uh Simi Shidu and and Jared Brownridge um if you remember him out of Santa Clara they're both now on um they're both now in the G League uh Caleb Weston who was in training camp with the Warriors kind of a stretch big um, so these are all guys that you could take flyers on, on two-way deals. Um, I think, I think, you could, and I've had people reach out to me, like, why don't they give a contract or at least a 10 day or maybe a two-way to, uh, Jeremy Lynn, who put up numbers, uh, with Santa Cruz. I completely understand the thought process, but, um, my understanding talking to people in the organization is that they would want to go young with that spot. They'd want someone that they could develop. Um, and, Jeremy, even though I think he's proven he's still an NBA player, would be taking minutes away from Nico and Jordan Poole, 
which is not what you want to be doing. So it's nothing against Jeremy. I just don't think he fits what they're trying to accomplish right now. That's right. That's right. They want to go younger. And um, I love Caleb Wesson. Um, he hasn't turned 22 yet. Um, if he didn't average 10 rebounds a game in the G League, he was really stinking close. And one of the things that this team desperately needs is rebounds. And as you mentioned, um, he can stretch the floor a little bit, um, which is what they're looking for in a four or five. Um, and he's been in camp already. You know how hard this system is to learn and how it takes time in it, doing it over and over again to learn to read and react. And, um, so he's already got time in the system. He rebounds like crazy. And he hasn't turned 22 yet. I, I don't think you can go wrong with Caleb. So one really interesting thing is uh... – the possibility of bringing Justinian Jessup over from Australia. And I was actually pretty surprised to hear Bob go out of his way on his conference call the other day and mention the possibility of bringing over Justinian Jessup. Um, because talking to people before, my understanding had been that the odds of that happening were minimal, if even that. Um, and so, um, you know, just because of the buyout situation in Australia and just, a lot of logistical reasons. Um, but, you know, Bob wouldn't have said that unless it was a real possibility. Um, and it's an interesting possibility because uh, Justinian Jessup has been, and just for our listeners who aren't super familiar with him, um, he was the 51st pick in the draft in November out of Boise State. He was a, a draft and stash guy. Um, basically, coming out of Boise State before the NBA draft, he had actually already signed a deal with the Illawar Hawks, which is the team that LaMelo Ball played on last season in Australia. And it actually was the perfect decision for him because teams were like, great, you know, we don't have any roster spots to use on a late second round pick, but you go over to Australia, do your thing, we'll monitor you. And if you do a good job, we'll bring you over next season or, or seasons down the line. And, um, you know, he's gone to Australia and done his thing. You know, he's been, he's a catch and shoot guy, uh, an elite three point shooter. Um, and, you know, his numbers are, are exactly what you want him to be. He's at, he's averaging 14.4 points on 46.7% shooting, 45.2% from three point range, uh, four, four rebounds and, and 1.9 assists, um, you know, for, for a Hawks team in Australia that has a pretty balanced attack. Um, so, you know, his role in the NBA would be, you know, a catch and shoot spe specialist off the bench, you know, a guy who would just curl off screens and, and kind of be like a poor man's, you know, Duncan Robinson or, uh, or Clay Thompson, you know, kind of similar actually to what Michael Mulder is. Uh, and um, so it's a, it's, I think great value. You know, you, I think it's already looking like a great pick, especially when you're looking at the 51st pick in the draft. Um and it would be really interesting to just get a look at him, you know, at, in the latter half of this season. The, I believe the Warriors would – I don't totally understand the the details of his contract in Australia, but I believe they'd have to buy out his contract. Um, and – but I just – I personally think they'd probably be better off just, just letting him finish out the season in Australia and then giving him a training camp invite and just seeing how he – maybe, you know, assuming there is a summer league, having him on the summer league team and then helping him get – comfortable with the system I just think it's asking a lot to have him come all the way from Australia mid-season and then like not know your system and not have played with any of these guys and then just try to like prove himself like I think you I think you need to be fair to him and fair to the rest of the guys in the roster and I think you you just 
are happy you should be happy with what he's doing now and then just know that that's a piece that you can you know potentially incorporate this summer into next season and i think that's probably what's going to happen even though it's an intriguing possibility i think you're right on it um and you hit you hit a lot of really important stats he's playing great but the most important stat is he's playing 32 minutes a night (laughs) and he's not going to do that with the warriors so why why bring him over here um it makes sense to use that as a minor league system. You get to watch him play. He gets minutes. He gets experience. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't make a ton. Yeah. And the G league season's over, you know, but he's still playing in Australia at a level that's probably akin to the G league. Um, Maybe a little bit above the G league. You know, you look at the rosters in Australia, there's a ton of former NBA players. Um, I know Aaron Brooks was on that team last season. Uh, Obviously, Lamal Ball was on that team last season. We see what he did this season before his injury in Charlotte. So, um, you know, that's a my answer. Life. My my answer might be totally different if this was a normal season where the Warriors were practicing four times a week. You know, if he was coming over here and learning the system, even if he wasn't getting a ton of playing time, that would make some sense to me. But that's not going to happen. They're, they're not going to practice. So why not let him play 32 minutes a night? That, that makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I, I think that, you know, Bob doesn't need to listen to us. I, I have a feeling that's kind of where his head is already on all. Well, that. We already solved the Ubre Wiggins thing for him. He should listen. Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I know, I know that the narrative around Bob, at least on Twitter and stuff has been kind of negative lately, but um, I still think that Bob is one of the best GMs in the league. And I think, um, you know, people have been like criticizing the player development and the draft picks. And it's like, first of all, you know, the Warriors have been drafting 28th and later uh, <laughs> right. years until this year. Uh, and, uh, you know, you look at the value they've gotten in the, those range, that range. I mean, you get someone like Kavon Looney at 30. That's pretty good value. Uh, you look at uh, Jordan Poole, what he's doing at 28 at, and he's only 21 years old. Like that's a pretty darn good pick. You know, I'm not saying Jordan Poole is going to be an all-star, but you know, that that already looks like a high value pick. So I I, I don't understand the the criticism of bob totally like i think they need to trust that he knows what he's doing and i think a lot i i just know from covering the team a lot of times when i've seen something that happened i've been like why would bob do that he tends to have a bigger picture uh plan that i'm not aware of in the moment that comes to fruition later so you know i know we were all after the trade deadline like why didn't they trade him and especially after Ubre's comments like why why they why would they do that they're so dumb well odds are Bob has a plan and maybe we hit on it today maybe we didn't but I'm sure there's a bigger picture at player and as coach Kerr always reminds us it's not general drafter it's general manager (laughs) and what Bob Myers does behind the scenes to manage egos and to manage the team and show how much he cares and make players and staff care um, that's more important than, than drafting somebody at 28. Well, Rusty, I, I, I really enjoyed uh, breaking down everything the Warriors need to do. I think we hit a lot of important points, and um, I know we we hit a lot of these in, in the print edition as well and online, so uh, in the written form. So where can our, our listeners and readers find your stuff? Well, hopefully they're already subscribers to San Francisco Chronicle. I still get the newspaper at my house, but there's even better stuff online at sfchronicle.com. Um, Connor writes about 27 stories per day. So go check those out. Our thanks to Rusty Simmons for joining me on the podcast. Really enjoyed hearing what he'd do if he were Bob Myers. 